in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. This uh, story that we read today is one of the most famous stories uh, of the whole year uh, and in all of scripture that we can read and contemplate about uh, what exactly happened between the blind man and Christ. Um, and toward the end of the story, when uh, Jesus meets with the man, uh, the Lord asks him if he believes in the Son of God. This question, do you believe? And the man has this interesting response and says, who is he, Lord, uh, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Okay. So Christ responds to him and he says that he is the Son of God and the man worships him. Um, and, and this is kind of how the story concludes. But we can kind of contemplate a little bit on the phrase that the man said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And to think a little bit of what does it actually mean to believe in the Lord? Okay, what, is it, what does it actually mean? Um, a lot of times when we speak about having faith, we, we, you know, if someone has the Christian faith, for instance, we say that someone has the Christian faith. Uh, what that means is, or what some people consider that to mean, is that simply do we believe in the precepts of Christianity? Do we believe that there was a man named Jesus Christ? Do we believe that that person uh, is God? Do we believe that he died on the cross and resurrected? Certainly all of these elements are elements of faith. This is why uh, when we recite the Orthodox Creed, we speak about all the elements of faith that we believe in. But here, when, when we are speaking about worshiping the Lord and having a relationship with the Lord, the, kinds of, the, the kind of belief that we are called to have is, goes beyond just the basic principles of faith goes beyond just the basic elements of do I believe in his existence, but it is a training myself to not only believe in the fact of his existence and in the historical facts of who he is, but to believe in him to the point where I am willing and able to surrender my life to him. You know, It's one thing to believe that a person exists, but it's another thing to entrust your life into the hands of that person that I believe in the goodness of that person. I believe in the love of that person. I believe in the power of that person, right? Do we put our desires or expectations, our future plans, do we surrender all of those things to the Lord? This is a big part of what it means to believe, right? To believe means to acknowledge how big and, and large and, 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 and infinite God is compared to our smallness. And if we really believe that God is very, very big compared to our smallness, that we will entrust ourselves in him. We will entrust our plans in him. We will give ourselves to him. That we are in need of him, right? Not just that um, God is like a part of our life, but that God is the center of our life, that God is the source of our life, right? It's a, it's a completely different perspective on, on God, right? We follow him not because we understand everything, because, you know, throughout all of scripture, Christ made it very clear that he's not going to explain everything and that all throughout the Old Testament, God certainly did not explain things in any kind of detail that we would be, you know, maybe asking a lot of questions. He just told the people to do, right? And the only way that we would respond to God when he tells us to do things without expl explanation is because we trust in him. We trust in his character, right? Do, do we, are we willing to follow him when we don't understand? Are we willing to follow him when we are uncomfortable? Do we go to him to find comfort instead of trying to find comfort in other places, right? All of these things are elements of faith 
that I believe in him. You know, we, we start out maybe, um, like I said, with the basic principles, we start out with thinking, well, what is the basic, uh, you know, uh, facts of faith? And I, and I begin and I say, oh, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm baptized and I'm a Christian and I, and I attend church and I listen to sermons and all this. But at some point there has to be a transition from simply believing in him as a fact versus entrusting myself to him. And we see this kind of progression happen throughout the story of this uh, blind man where, where he goes through these different phases, okay? And by the end, he is worshiping the Lord. At the beginning, he doesn't know who the man is. And then in the middle, he says, well, the man is a prophet. And then finally, at the end, he's, he's, he's worshiping, right? And this same process of going from, I do not know the Lord to, I believe in the Lord, but I believe in him in terms of like these basic principles and facts of faith to, um, you know, finally getting to the point where I am, you know, worshiping and bowing down before him and submitting my life completely with him. So it's important for us to understand this because that is our goal. And maybe at the time where we are now, like this is a very evident, right, to all of us that we are, we are pursuing uh, trusting in the Lord completely, surrendering to him completely. And in this, we find comfort and we realize our smallness relative to his bigness, right? This is this is part of what it means to believe. So um, when Christ was speaking uh, to his disciples before the crucifixion, okay, um, he was preparing them for what is to come. And, and, and I'm speaking about this now in the context of what does it really mean to believe, okay? Um, he was preparing them for what is to come. And in the Gospel of John, there is many, many chapters that's dedicated to conversations and prayers that happen um, with the disciples prior to the crucifixion in preparation for them uh, to, to, to be ready for the time of crucifixion and to reveal to them a lot of things, right, that they didn't really understand. And he told them that he would be leaving them and he told them that Peter would betray him, okay? And this caused them a lot of anxiety because you can imagine after having spent three years with Christ and, and you know, uh, feeling comfortable living with him and loving him and feeling his love for them, that at this point when he's speaking about him leaving, it sounded so frightening to them that he was leaving, okay, and caused them a lot of stress. And so Christ, this is in John 14, verse 1, he told them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Just as in the story of the blind man, when, you know, um, Christ wanted the blind man to believe, here also he's asking the disciples to believe, okay? Uh, Christ did not reveal everything to the disciples. He wanted them to believe. He wanted them to trust that God was with them, okay? That everything would turn out for the best, even though they didn't understand. He's saying, do not be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. And again, this is important because we live in a troubling time. You know, we, we live in a time where um, maybe more than any other time, we are reminded of our humanity. We are reminded of our frailty, uh, how fragile we are, how vulnerable we are, um, that a lot of the systems that we've put into place uh, in order for us to function and to live and to enjoy our life and to have order, uh, how fragile these systems actually are. And maybe because we put our trust in these systems um, to not fail us, uh, we go about our lives feeling comfortable and safe. But when we see how frail and fragile these systems are, maybe the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, 
well, then what's actually protecting me? What's actually my safety? You know, like you think about just like an example is like, we believe that there is police. Okay. And we believe that if uh, at any time I can call the police, uh, if there is a need, if there's something that I need the police for. But imagine countries where there is no access to police. Imagine uh, if there was no police, okay, which was a, system, a government system, right? Who then would I turn to? You know, who, who then would be my protection? You know, the idea is, is that God is actually our protection all the time. Whether that protection is manifested through police, whether it's manifested through government, whether it's manifested through grocery stores, whether it's manifested through whatever system that exists in the world, instead of putting our trust in the system or in those people who created the system or those people even who are our leaders, right, in the world, we put our trust in the Lord because he is the ultimate source of security. And he is the one saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, which is referring to the Father, believe also in me, okay? So here, you know, we should ask the question is, is the reason that I am, should not be troubled, is it because I believe that these systems that are in place are rock solid? That I believe the systems and the society that's in place is something that can never be altered or moved or, or, or failed? No, actually, that's not the reason. You know, we see all around us, people can get sick, and people can lose their jobs. Um, a lot of things that are, you know, difficult and challenging and, and heartbreaking happens to Christians all the time and all throughout history as well, not just during this time that we're in, all throughout history. So when, when he says, let not your heart be troubled, he's not referring to do not let your heart be troubled because the systems that you guys have created in the world will not fail. That's not the reason for not letting your heart be troubled. He's not saying do not let your heart be troubled and place your trust in another person who's, who's going to protect you. Do not let your heart be troubled and put your faith in the money that you have accumulated. None of these things are the reason why he's saying, let not your heart be troubled. He reveals actually in the following verse why he's saying this, okay? In, in verse two, he's saying, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So the source of peace and not being troubled is not something on earth, but it is what, because God has prepared a place for us in heaven and that he is going there ahead of his disciples to prepare this place. So he's saying, when I leave you here on earth, while this might seem like such a painful experience and, and something you don't want, but the reason that I leave is not to abandon you. The reason I leave is to go and prepare a permanent place for you. Where here you are in a temporary place, a place that's certainly not secure, a place that's got so many problems and so many uh, things in it that are uncertain. And yet I am leaving here to go to a better place. And in there, I will prepare for you what? Mansions. I will prepare places for you to live. Okay. So the source of peace he was talking about was not because of anything on earth. Right. Um, he says what in first John two, verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Right. He who does the will of God abides forever, but the world is passing away. Don't place your trust in the world. Don't place your faith in the world or the systems of the world 
Place your trust in me only. And this should be your source of peace. Okay. So again, we are in a time now where maybe this is being tested. Or maybe we never even knew or, or experienced before really what is the source of our trust. When we see, see the stock market falling, when we see um, people trapped in their homes, when we see that people losing their jobs, when we see that all, again, these systems that we have trusted in for so long seem to be failing, right? Where is the source of our trust? Are we like these disciples that when they saw Christ was leaving them, that they began to feel like everything was falling apart? Or do they have trust in him, a deeper trust, not just in the moment, not just because of the situation in their life in the moment, but they had a deeper trust because what he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Their source of peace was in this uh, or should have been in this uh, idea that God is preparing a place, that we have an eternal home and that we have eternal peace. And so for us, we, we are called to look beyond what we see in front of us. And maybe because we have a lot of free time, we sit and we watch the news and the news makes us even more stressed out because of all the bad news that we keep hearing uh, everywhere. And we become afraid of what is going to happen, right? But Christ here is calling us to look beyond this, you know, look beyond this moment in time and realize that he is with us and a perfect time for us to start and to go deeper in our relationship with God, to experience this peace that surpasses all understanding that Christ wants to share with us because of him, because of his presence. And going back to the idea of what does it mean to believe? To believe doesn't just mean that I believe in the facts of faith. To believe means that I surrender to this person who I believe in. I surrender to him. I put my fears and my cares on him so that I do not carry them around with me. And instead, this load is lifted from my shoulders. Maybe that doesn't change the moment, doesn't change the circumstances of the moment, but it changes my mind. It changes my expectation. It changes my hope because I can say, even if whatever is today is difficult, and even if whatever it is today that fails, I don't have to stress about this. I don't have to worry about this because my home is in heaven. And Christ said, what? I go to prepare a place for you. Okay. So to be with Christ then, is the goal to be with Christ is the goal. Cause when, again, he says, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you, meaning I'm going to prepare a place and you and I will abide together in that place in verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may also be there. You may be also right. So, so these disciples were worried that Christ was going to be taken from them. But what Christ is saying is, I am not taken from you. I am maybe moving from place to place, but I am going to bring you with me, right? I will come again and receive you to myself, right? What is so great about these mansions in heaven? They are not just fancier houses than the houses we have. They're not just houses with more stuff in them than the stuff that we have. They are places where we will abide in the Lord for eternity, right? So the peace and the joy comes from abiding in the Lord, to be with him, okay? So if being with the Lord is the thing that brings us peace, that keeps us from being troubled, then we ask the question and we say, well, what about here? You know, do we have to wait until we go to heaven in order to abide in the Lord? Do we have to wait until there to enjoy the presence of God? 
In Zephaniah chapter 3, it says, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Okay? So, so it's, it's, very, um, it's very beautiful that Christ is saying, I am going to be with you both now and then. So we focus on what? We focus on the idea that Christ is with us now. Okay, Christ is with us now. We know that he is going to prepare a place for us, but until we go there, we are here, right? How is it that we can draw near to the Lord here? How is it that we can approach him here? How is it that we can realize that we are not separated from him here? And again, during a time when like, we don't have access to the churches, it's so much even more important that we cultivate that personal prayer life in order to, to realize that we are with the Lord and the Lord is with us all the time and that we are not separated from him. Because if we try to go through something like we're going through now and we feel like we are alone and that there is no one there to help us and all the systems that we have relied on have failed us, then we truly indeed feel alone. And, you know, I, I notice, you know, in, um, in the news is every time something fails, somebody looks to somebody else to resolve it for them. You know, for instance, when people cannot pay the rent, they look to their landlords, give us uh, exemption from paying rent. And when the landlords cannot pay the utilities, they look to the utility companies and say, utility companies give us exemption so that we cannot pay. And when the utility companies cannot stay afloat, they look to the government. And the government, to, to tell the government, please give us uh, a break or give us more money or give us stimulus packages, all this, because we cannot, we cannot maintain our operations. And when the government cannot do that, they say, we're going to print more money, right? Everybody looks to somebody else for relief, right? Everybody looks to somebody else for relief. So what happens when there is no one to give relief? What happens when those people and those systems that I look to cannot relieve me? What should be my response? Well, ultimately we say what? God is the one who has the relief. It is not any human that has the relief. What if there is no one that can help? What if there is no one who even knows or sees my plight, my pain, my suffering, my loneliness, right? God is the one. And Christ said, I am with you now. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. What about doubts? Because often we have these doubts. When Christ appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, again, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Right? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? This is the source of their trouble, right? Because they, they didn't understand the resurrection. They didn't understand that Christ could be raised from the dead, right? When Christ appeared, they, 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 they were confused by this and they certainly weren't expecting it. And even though Christ made it clear to them from before, but they didn't understand, right? They didn't understand. So they were troubled. They were troubled because they doubted. Why do doubts arise in your heart? And certainly our anxiety comes from doubt, right? Because maybe we know all of these truths about the Lord and we, we, we believe in the Christian faith, but it's difficult for us to believe in the midst of a lot of pain and suffering and, and, and a lot of challenges. Like, uh, you know, St. Peter, he had faith, right? When he saw Christ walking on the water, he said, call me out to you, you know, call me out to you so that I can walk on the water with you. Okay. And for a time he was able to walk on the water, right? Amazing, amazing faith, right? That he was able to go and walk out on the water in the middle of a storm. 
But when he began to doubt, when he saw all these things around him, he, he began to sink, right? He began to sink. The, the, it's, it's easy for us that even when we have moments of strong faith, but our faith is constantly tested by difficult challenges. Think about Moses and the Israelites when they stood on the shore of the Red Sea, that even though the Israelites had seen all the miracles that God had done for them, the plagues that were sent to, to free them from slavery in Egypt, but now as they stood on the shore of the Red Sea and they saw the Egyptians coming to destroy them, they doubted again. And they began to say, we're going to die. Why did you bring us out, Moses, from Egypt when you're going to just lead us out here to die again? And they grumbled against him and they were frightened. But if you look at the, what Moses' response was, right? If you read, Moses' response was amazing. He said, what? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We, as a people, as a race, we are very much about being active. We're very much about moving and doing and thinking and planning and, 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 and taking our life into our own hands and affecting change and, and planning for the future and saving for our future. And, and again, that goes into this whole system of society that we have is it's a lot of very, very intelligent human beings that are all getting together and saying, what is best for society? How can we work to make society what it is? Um, and we individually as, as individuals and as families, that we, we do the same. We, we plan for our future. We think of what is it we're going we're gonna to do, right? But there are moments, okay, in life where we have no actions that we can take. We have moments where we realize that what we're up against is bigger than ourselves, just as these Israelites that stood on the shore of the Red Sea, and there was nothing that they could do. There was no plan. There was no army. There was nothing. They just, all they could do was stand still. There was the difference between the people and Moses. People, when they were in that moment, they were frightened. They were angry. They were, they were terrified. How is it that you brought us out here? We're going to die now. But Moses, being in the exact same situation, in the exact same circumstances, he didn't respond. He just said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, right? Even though we are all stuck in our homes, right? There's a difference between the person who is kind of in their mind, constantly trying to move from place to place to place to place, afraid and anxious and doubting and, and, and moving actively, even though they might not be physically moving, they're moving in their mind, right? They're, they don't have a sense of stillness and calm and peace, right? Versus someone who is responding like Moses, right? Surrendering to the moment and saying, we are here. We, we have tried all that we can do, and this is where we are. We are here. And the only thing we can put our trust in is God. The only thing we can put our trust in is the Lord and having this inner peace and saying what stands still. It is time for stillness, right? Anxiety is like, it's a lot of movement, a lot of movement of thought, a lot of movement of action that doesn't actually produce any results, right? Being unsettled, not being at ease in the monastic writings, um, and in the writings of the Desert Fathers and the monastic writings, it's always encouraged that the monks remain in their cell and try not to be too active. When a monk is unsettled, when they are kind of stirring, when they are not, um, they're, they're not able to really stay in prayer for too long, they always want to leave the cell. They always want to go out of their room 
and go out and socialize with the other monks and do different activities and, and walk around and do this. And so it's always encouraged that the monks would remain in their cell and struggle, struggle in prayer. Do not escape from boredom. Um, do not try to fulfill all of your desires. Remain in stillness. Learn to be still in the presence of God. Abba Moses, who was one of the great desert fathers, he would counsel the monks and he would say, go sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything. Your cell will teach you everything. And I, as I was thinking about this, and I remembered also when Christ told um, the people to enter into the inner room. When you pray, go into your room and close the door. The inner room of prayer. This is where we meet the Lord. This is where we find peace. This is how we find comfort. This is how we learn to stand still, to slow down, to receive from God what we need to receive and to be at peace, right? So we can think of this kind of in a, in a, in a kind of symbolic way that we are in ourselves now, each of us in ourselves, in our inner rooms. What is it that we do in our inner rooms? Some of us might always want to try to find a way to escape this inner room, to escape a, this place where we are forced into stillness. And we find ourselves maybe trying to use up all our time being on the computer, on our phones, watching movies, on Facebook, talking to others, right? Because this is the way we try to cope with the situation this is the way we try to occupy our time is to escape from the stillness, to escape from the quietness. And so I'm going to take this time and I'm going to try to preoccupy myself with as many things as possible. Okay. But if we look at it from the perspective of the desert fathers and from what Abba Moses said, and from what the, what the, 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 the rule of monasticism is, is that this time of being in the cell, this is the time for inner peace and inner prayer. This is a time to say what I'm going to go into the inner room of prayer and I'm going to be still in the presence of God and, and learn and learn to be at peace through him in him. OK, instead of me trying to escape this time of stillness to learn to be like Moses and to say, you know what, there's nothing in my hands to do. I am locked at home. There is nothing around me that I can do. I'm going to stand still and I'm going to see the salvation of the Lord. Standing still doesn't mean being idle right? Doesn't, it doesn't mean being idle. It means that we are physically in a certain place and that we can't really move out of it. So we're going to make the best of it and we're going to find the Lord in that place. Not because we are trying to do many activities, but because we are, we are, we are standing in his presence in prayer and being filled with his peace in, 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 through our relationship with him. And this uh, reduces our doubts, this gives us peace to trust in, in what it is that we ourselves cannot do, that trust that he is the source of peace. Another thing that during this time we can be doing <clears throat> is focusing on our family. Again, a lot of times we escape from our family. If we have um, arguments, conflicts, long-lasting conflicts that maybe have been um, causing us tension with our families for a long time, and a lot of times we find ourselves just escaping from it. We don't really want to deal with it or don't know how to deal with it. So we leave. We go and fill our time with other things. And maybe this time here when we're all forced to kind of be together in one place, it's a time where, you know, there will be a lot of conflicts and there will be a lot of opportunities um, in order for us to heal relationships that have been broken from a long time ago. One of the blessings um, that I see in the situation that we're in is it forces us to deal with things that maybe otherwise we would have never dealt with. 
So this is a time for healing relationships, for forgiveness, for communication, for understanding, for restoration. This is a time where we can benefit from being at home to have peace, right? Because how can we have peace with God when we have conflict with all the people around us, right? As much as it is within my power to try to establish peace and reconciliation with those people that are closest to me, even those in my own home, this is going to help us to find peace in the Lord. When I have all of these conflicts around me, it's difficult for me to find peace in the Lord. But when I, I, I focus on forgiving, when I focus on, um, on healing and communicating with those people God has given me as my closest family, I will, it will be easier for me to find peace with the Lord. This is one thing we can also be doing. And then the last thing I want to mention is to be thankful. Maybe one of the, the last things we think about when we wish that we were doing many other things or when we even have like financial hardship um, because maybe we've been furloughed or maybe our salaries have been reduced um, or maybe we've been laid off, right? Is even despite this to be thankful, God is doing something in the world. He is working in the world. There is something happening in the world. And I'm not trying to, to say that I know what that is, but certainly God is doing something, right? And that something is... God is going to use it collectively as a society, as a world. God is going to use it collectively for our good somehow, right? He, he wants us to benefit. God wants us to be restored to him. God wants us to know him. God wants us to see him. God wants salvation for all of us. And he will use every situation to accomplish this. So clearly there are a lot of the, the means by which God uses are ones that are painful to us are difficult for us to, to see, to understand. But we have through the eyes of faith to believe that God is working on our behalf for our benefit. And so we thank him. We thank him for the things that we have. We thank him for our homes, for our families. We thank him for being with us. We thank him for his love. We thank him, and we go back to, in, in verse 2 of John 14, we thank him for the mansions. We thank him for the place that he has prepared for us. Because in the end, no matter what happens to us here, we know that he has prepared this place where we will abide with him forever. So just in conclusion, it's important for us during this time to learn to be like Moses standing on the shore of the Red Sea and being able to say, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, to learn stillness. And in the stillness, we will learn to not be troubled. And this is truly what it means to believe in the Lord just as the blind man asked the Lord, who is he that I may believe in him? This is to believe in him, to believe and not be troubled because he is the Pantocrator, the creator. He loves us and he is with us and glory be to God forever. Amen.